0: Welcome to the Research Culture Uncovered podcast, where in every episode we explore what is research culture and what should it be? You'll hear thoughts and opinions from a range of contributors to help you change research culture into what you want it to be.
1: Hi, it's Emma. And for those of you who haven't met me yet, I lead the Researcher Development and Culture team at the University of Leeds. My podcast episodes focus on research culture and research leadership. And today I'm joined by Ruth Winden, our Careers with Research Consultant, to discuss how we can get better engagement from our managers of researchers, particularly in our work around the Researcher Development Concordat. Ruth and I are both responsible for the implementation of the Researcher Development Concordat at Leeds, and we've just been going through our action plan and progress updates for our annual report, and it's really highlighted some areas where we still have challenges. And not surprisingly, given the topic of this podcast, that was around manager engagement. And it's certainly not for a lack of trying, but we know this is something that other institutions also struggle with. And if you're listening to this episode thinking, well, we've cracked it, then we would love to know what you're doing. And maybe you could drop it into the comments section on our LinkedIn page for this podcast. And I will make sure I put a link to that page in our show notes. We recently ran a Pulse survey to ask people how aware they were on different elements of our research culture work. And one of the questions was if they were aware of the Research and Development Concordat. And from our respondents, only 45% of our academic staff agreed that they had heard of the Researcher Development Concordat. But slightly more reassuring was that 64% of our research staff respondents said they'd heard of it. So it's not all bad, but again, it highlights the work that we still have to do. So before I start diving into questions, I'm going to give Ruth an opportunity to introduce herself in case you haven't listened to one of her previous episodes.
0: It's lovely to be here with you, Emma. And yes, my name is Ruth Winden and I am the Careers with Research Consultant. And what I love about my role, it's so much about career conversations and how to help. You know our researcher community with their career development, and yes, that is the managers and that is the researchers. And as someone who's come from the private sector to higher education, I think what I notice is that there are a lot of people who would like to do, you know, the or give better career support to their staff, but are often a little bit unsure. And I think where I see myself coming in in my role is really supporting the managers as well as the researchers in having really good sound meaningful career conversation so my bar is high I admit to that but I'm also a realist I know it's not something people were trained to do I'm a trained career professional I've been at this for decades it's my 30th anniversary this year so I can imagine Emma how many career conversations I've had with (laughs) clients and colleagues you know and and I don't always get it perfectly right either you know but I'm on a mission to normalize having those conversations. And what, when I look back, what attracted me to Leeds and your team and the way that you work is that Leeds says very clearly in terms of career development, you know, the researcher background is a fantastic foundation and we want to enable you to go into any career direction that is appropriate for you. So we're not favoring the academic career path over other paths. And for me, that is a wonderful basis to have, for career conversations and making them really open.
1: So I'm gonna start off with a really easy question here Ruth. Why do we think it's so hard to engage our managers of researchers with this work? You know, I think they are very,
0: very busy people. And I think they also have really high expectations of themselves in how to do this. So when I ran a workshop last year to support managers in giving and holding career conversations. What really struck me was they were enthusiastic and they were eager to do it really well, but there was also a lot of anxiety not to do it well enough. And I had to really come in and say, look, you're not trained career professionals. We're not expecting you to do it in a professional manner, but it is part of your role and how can we help you? And what I noticed is it's often something they need this, it's it's almost feels like it's a big responsibility. I need time to prepare. I don't have the time. Or, you know, their focus is elsewhere. They're under pressure to get research grants in whatever it is, you know, it is. You need time and space and mental space to have those conversations. And for me, that is actually one of the biggest barriers. And that's something that I can't really influence. But what I can influence is and support is helping people, you know, who are willing to do it, to feel more comfortable doing it and also more confident. And then those who do not want to do it, well, that's a, that's a different challenge. But in general, I was really, really heartened to see so many research leaders came and said, I'm doing it, but I'm not sure whether I'm doing it well enough. And Ruth tells, how can I do it better? And that is, for me, a really good starting point.
1: And for those of you who aren't doing it, just be aware that Ruth is on the warpath path and she will find you. Um, <laughs> I think it's, you know, as I said, it's not from a lack of trying. We've got Concordat Awareness Sessions that we hold. We've got a range of self-guided resources that are available on lots of topics um, that come underneath our Concordat work. And you've mentioned there about time being a pressure. Do you think that we put too much pressure or unrealistic expectations on our managers to be able to support not only their own development but that of their research teams as well? I actually don't, Emma. I mean, you know, I come from the
0: private sector, and in the private sector, is it is normal that you, as a manager, help your staff develop. That is just the way it is. And you know, my attitude. I always think we need to benchmark ourselves against other sectors and. I can't see why managers in higher education research leaders couldn't do it. I think it's more about helping them and giving them more confidence and more strategies or more tools or resources. But on the other hand, I also think, you know, I'm not I'm not expecting them to be a career professional. They're not. But having that making for me, it's making the time. And then having open conversations. I mean, one thing, and that is not special about leads, that is in our sector, I think there's still something about recognising that researchers have many career options open to them. And I also know from, from the researchers themselves, you know, that they're often a little bit scared to share when they think, mm, actually, the academic career path isn't for me. And this comes up so often in conversations I have with people, you know, that they say, I, this person invested in me you know this person supported me this person has high hopes for me and i feel so bad about admitting actually for whatever reasons could be personal it could be professional it could there's so many reasons the researchers have decided mm, maybe after all it's not for me and for me that is a really difficult situation for both parties, but it doesn't have to be so difficult, Emma, you know, because people have a right to change their mind and they have a right to change direction, but that I think is the most difficult conversation that people can have in a higher education context, and how can I support them and Where I come in as well, Emma, is that yes, there are the managers, but for me, it's always a two way process, so for me, it's also also the researcher, so you remember when we had those conversations, what I could do. I said I must offer support for managers, but I also must offer support for the researchers because it's the researchers' responsibility as well, you know, to prepare for those conversations, to expect those conversations, if they don't get them to remind their research leaders. The University signed Scientific researcher Development Concordat, we have to have those conversations. That's part of the agreement. And I'd love to have a conversation with you and not just five minutes on the corridor here or there, which is good, but it's, you know, I think sitting down and really giving it space and giving it an hour and having those conversations is, is a really important thing. But the researchers have to be engaged and prepared and do their bit. Because I always say to the researchers, it's your career. You need to be proactive, have conversations and prepare them and get what you need from those conversations. But that takes courage and it takes time and it takes yeah it takes it takes more than you and i who do this so regularly might acknowledge so I see it's a, it's a big thing to expect, but I think it has to happen, not just because it's in the concordat. We also know, Emma, that younger people, their expectations are these days. When you look across, across the, you know, the different sectors where people work, the expectation is very high in terms of I want to learn, I want to grow, I want to develop, and career development is part of that. That is an expectation we also have to meet if we want to be attractive to many intelligent, talented people coming to
1: us. Do you think it's a relatively new thing for academic institutions, though? Obviously, it's been going on in the private sector for a while. Do you think this this culture of having those career discussions is something that is relatively new? I know the Concordat itself isn't new. It's been around for a while, but we know we've had problems with engaging people. So is this something that's still considered new or novel to some of these managers? I just don't think that we give it enough
0: Um, Importance in people's job descriptions. You know, I don't envy research leaders. My word, have they got a lot to do? And it's a gazillion things. We know this, and I don't necessarily think that in the HE sector that career development of their staff is high enough on the agenda. And of course, we have wonderful examples at Leeds. People who do it extremely well and stand so behind and say, "For me, it's really important. I'm a research leader." and you know, I want them to explore opportunities and I really want them to grow. And And if they want to go, they need to go. And if they want to stay, I'll help them stay, you know, and they have that openness. And they actually take great pride from seeing their team members do amazing things and amazing things in all different walks of life and different sectors. And that we have a lot of people at Leeds who feel very strongly it's important to me and that's why they do it. So I think there is a lot of good practice, but maybe also we don't share enough of it, you know, and that's where you and I come in, you know, how can we also share good practice? That's why I'm so excited that, yes, as part of the Concord Awareness Month this um, year in February, we have a panel session there where career conversations is a topic. I, I chose that topic because I think it's really important. I could have chosen another topic, but I didn't. So it's also for us to really see how can we raise awareness, how can we bring people on the panel who have tremendous experience and how can we have these fruitful conversations about career
1: conversations and also going back to what you said about the recognition and the reward for this type of work it isn't accurately represented in our job descriptions but i'm hopeful that with um the new ref people culture and environment section coming in it's this type of activity that is going to help people to showcase how wider remit their their role actually has there's also a
0: really strong motivation i hear when people say to me you know when i was you know a younger researcher at the beginning of my career i didn't get that much support but now i'm in a position where i can offer that support and for me that is really important because i know how hard it was for me and that is a fantastic motivation isn't it emma
1: it is, but, you know, let's be honest, we also hear the opposite. Well, I didn't have that support when I was doing it. So, yeah, I think we could we could look at that one both ways, couldn't we, with our hats that on? That is true. But,
0: you know, when, when I thought about, okay, now how can I influence things a little bit? I'm not starting with people who really don't want to do it because that is too hard. I'm starting with people. My strategy is I'm engaging with people who are already doing it, helping them do it better and feel more confident and feel satisfied they're doing a good job, and then, People talk a lot about these things, even if it's private career conversations, but they're saying, oh, you know, my manager, I had this amazing career conversation. They don't need to go into detail, but they're saying it's happening. And then someone else might say, oh, that's really interesting. I didn't even know you could have that kind of thing. You know, I mean, this is how you how change
1: comes bottom up, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So you've mentioned there that you've got a group of people who are really engaging with this. And I know that you ran some focus groups with them, didn't you, to try and understand what they needed to be able to support their researchers. Was there anything surprising that came out of those conversations? I think for me, it was
0: how many people were worried they weren't doing a good enough job. And I had to reassure you and tell them, well, you're not trained career professional, you know. They almost have these expectations. I think that's about this academic excellence, isn't it? I'm an excellent research leader, and I need to be excellent at doing career conversations. I don't have that bar for people who are managing researchers. I want them to have, you know, I want them to have really sound, open conversations, patience, asking really good questions. And when I say good questions, open questions, and and basically listening to their postdocs you know the the majority of what is being said should come from the postdoc not not their managers because the managers are to understand you know their researcher community and what's important to them and what what their aspirations are and where they might struggle or what opportunities they're seeking to 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 pave that way you know it's asking a few questions open questions and then listening and then coming up with a plan okay how can i how can I support you? But I don't have the expectation that they do it to the level that a qualified career professional, which is a profession and which takes several years to achieve, you know, that's not that's not my level of expectation. So that surprised me. And I think there was also a little bit of surprise, but that might be my naivety coming from outside the HE sector, you know, in terms of resources, you know, because I obviously have so many resources and I'm very aware where all the resources are. And we have... Almost too many resources if you're interested in careers, and I think that also was a good signal for me to think, okay, you know, people just need, they need to be able to sign post, and I think that's where we also play a role that managers can sign post and door, and they do, because we do get the crest from managers saying, oh, you know can you help me with that? Or what do you suggest? Or what should I do? You know, and, and that's the dialogue we welcome, because if we equip the managers to do it themselves and become more confident, and more resourceful, then, you know, this can spread across the whole university.
1: And you need to be really careful on that one, because when these managers come to you saying, Ruth, I've got an idea, or Ruth, how could you help us with this? It can get you into trouble. <laughs> I'm thinking particularly of an example you're working on at the moment, which is um, developing a train-the-trainer programme for managers and researchers in the Faculty of Medicine. Did you want to tell us how that one came about? Yeah, to be honest, I don't quite know because,
0: yes, I love working in groups and I have a reputation at the university for running, facilitating pretty impactful career Management programs for researchers, and I guess that's where it came from. They might have heard about me. I also know that some of their um, researchers have been on my programs, and so I was asked last year, "Oh, you know, um, we have this idea, and what we'd love to do is to run group-based career coaching programs for our early career researchers." And I, as you know, Emma, got very excited. and thought, yes, and what excites me about it is that. I can help people in the faculty develop that skill set and that ability to run it independently. So, what we're doing is, and we just started a couple of weeks ago, I'm the lead facilitator in many ways. You know, we have a group of nine early career researchers, and I have three colleagues who I'm working with, and I'm trying to bring in, but they also said, we want to see how you do it. And so we have a lot of conversations about it. Then, I, you know, I go in and we facilitate. And of course, my colleagues are also in there and helping me. It's not like they're sitting in the corner and taking notes for th- for two hours. That's not going to going to happen, but I'm leading on it. And then we will review the pilot. And then the idea is that I will then have trained them up enough so that they can run it. I'll still be with them, but only in the background and then the third version would be where they do it all on their own. And I will just give them support maybe once a month for an hour if they have questions or not like supervision, but you know, a safe space where they can say, okay, this is working really well, but we don't know what to do about that. The idea behind it is basically this very, Traditional train the trainer approach over several cohorts, and what excites me about this is a not only that you know it's always such a joy to work with researchers and to do it in a group setting because I think it's so impactful for everyone, but also helping colleagues in the university who want to take the lead on this. You know they have that career coach academy, and they're so eager to learn and implement these strategies and these programs. Emma, for us that's just wonderful, isn't it? Because You know, we can't do everything, but if we can can help people who are keen to do their part in career development of researchers, we can help them do it themselves. Well, that's, that's only good news. And I know it obviously is a lot of work
1: and it takes me away from other things, but thank you for giving me the chance to do it. But that's really important, isn't it? Because we talk a lot about capacity and how you know we can't work with individuals on a one-to-one basis. And as much as we'd love to, we can't work with every group within the institution. So this model actually is one that I'm hoping if we can show it works in this faculty, we can then look at rolling out across other faculties. Are there any particular topics or themes that they've wanted to concentrate on?
0: Yeah, it's, it's interesting because the program is actually helping them very much about the the clarification. Where am I, and where do I want to go? And then once that pilot program is is finished, and it's eight sessions, we so we meet eight times. Oh yeah, every two weeks. So sometime in May we will be will have gone through the program, and then it takes them to, through to mentorship. So we do more the clarification piece. You know, where am I, and I got to this point. You know, what are what are my aspirations? I very deliberately bring in the word aspirations because they, they have aspirations and they need to learn also to acknowledge them and express them and so that people can then, their mentors can then take them forward. So that's a different program to what I normally do is because I normally do the whole thing, don't I? You know, sort of the the clarification at the beginning: you know, where am I and where, where do I see myself heading and what are my what are the opportunities and the possibilities are there? And then I actually help them get those, you know, fulfill those aspirations in this model because of of the way that they've set up their offering is it's an orientation program. The aim is that by the end of the program they have a much clearer idea where they where they're heading and then they will have found their own. Mentor to take them forward in that process. So it's a really interesting new model, and it's also exciting for me to see how that works in practice.
1: Do you think it's really important though to have the academic buy-in for these types of programs to have that sort of continuity? Because we know that our research staff are, you know, they are looking for what comes next. So naturally, they're going to be moving on. Is it really important to get a foundation team in place to be able to take this work forward? Absolutely, and and I think it's. It's, you know, it's it's capacity building,
0: isn't it? But it's also buy-in. And of course, it is really hard for some senior research leaders to think, oh, they're going on this program and they might actually decide not to stay. Um, but some of them have been here a long time and they've given the university a lot and they have progressed. But now, as all of us do at some point in our life, decide, OK, decision time, you know, I have options. Do I want to stay? Do I want to go? And and I always know in reality, it's not as simple as that, but I think, you know, we want people to be in the right place and to make the right contribution and be really satisfied because that's the best basis for for doing great work and and contributing to, to the research that we're doing at Leeds. And for some people, they've done it for 5, 10, 15 years, and maybe there's a, a different path. And one thing that I always notice in academia is that we have such an issue with that. And for me, coming from outside academia, it's so normal. I used to work with executives who would say, oh, Ruth, I've had a great run. I did 15 years as senior leader in logistics. But you know what? I want something else. Help me change into human resources or whatever it could be. You know, And people didn't feel guilty. They felt we have many talents. I've had a great career. I've really enjoyed it. But you know what, I'm ready for a change. And in academia, what I find so striking is that, oh, my word, so much guilt around, you know, and also, am I not good enough? Or am I letting people down? Or um, how will I be perceived? Or, you know, there's a lot of I mean, it's such a big emotional decision. And I come in and say, you know, it's okay we're all entitled to step back and say, is this really exciting me as much as it did five, 10 years ago? What else do I want to do with my life? Where else can I make a difference? And also, Emma, we know from all the programs we run, some people actually use the programs to realize, I'm in the perfect place. Now I know. And then it's a, You know, it's an informed decision. It's a choice, a conscious decision, a conscious choice to say, you know what, I am going down the academic route. Because now I'm certain. Before I had doubts, but, you know, explored things. I talked to lots of people. I went through the program. Now I've got the clarity. So it's not always, oh, you know, we're helping people leave because there are no opportunities. Absolutely not. You know, it's it's taking that time to make those conscious decisions. And that again, it's that time factor, isn't it? It does take time. You can't really rush it. But I really applaud researchers who say, you know what? I just need that time. And it's important to me. And I'd rather people do that than, you know, yeah, follow a career path that they're not really convinced of or not passionate about anymore, you know, because that is not, or feeling stuck, you know, and feeling stuck is not a nice feeling.
1: Yeah, it's that feeling stuck or actually not taking the time to step back and reflect on whether or not this is the job for you. You tend to see people who roll from contract to contract to contract, and this actually enables them to take as you said, that informed decision to make this a choice rather than something that's just happened. Yeah. So we're getting towards the end. Um, Unfortunately, this time goes so quickly. But before we wrap up, is there one piece of advice you would give to a manager of researchers to help them to support them?
0: Yeah, I think for me, the tip is really, if you need help, if you want help, you need to reach out to us. That's what we're here for. You know, I want to do my best job in supporting people in having those career conversations. And the more I also understand what are the challenges, you know, sometimes it's difficult for people like me. It's my bread and butter. I've done this for decades and I still find it so exciting. It's very hard for me sometimes to think, why is this even so difficult? Because I have to go back into the beginner's mindset. And, and you know, and that's sometimes really hard when you have so much experience. And I would say reach out and don't put yourself under pressure to do the perfect job or to not, uh, that's the other thing, to know all the different career options that there are. I don't know those career options either. There are, what, 20,000 professions and they're changing by the day. You will never know everything and you don't have to know everything. Come to us, talk to us so that we can support you better. I think for me, that is the most important tip I would give.
1: Brilliant. Thank you very much. Um, It just leaves me to say a huge thank you for joining us today. I'm sure that there will be lots of people out there who are facing similar challenges. And again, we would love to hear from you. But for now, I will leave it to Ruth to give the final goodbye. Thank you so much. And yes, we'd love to hear more from you and what you are doing in this
0: space. And together we can share our best practices and make a real difference. So thanks for listening to our episode. Thanks for listening to the Research Culture Uncovered podcast. Please subscribe so you never miss out on our brand new episodes. And if you're enjoying the discussions, give us some love by dropping a five star rating and written review as it helps other research culturists find us. And please share with a friend and show them how to subscribe. Thanks for listening, and here's to you and your research culture.